Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Love is everlasting, love is. Why couldn't you use rubber bullets? Why couldn't you, if in extremists you had to use live ammunition, why couldn't you shoot them in the legs? Why did you have to kill them to stop them scaling the fence? Nobody intentionally went out to kill anyone. People died accidentally. Uh, and I can tell you that Hamas at a certain point said, not enough people are being killed. Push more. Let the Jews kill more. Our, their goal was to have as many casualties. Our goal was to minimize casualties and avoid fatalities. But uh, there's only one thing that I would do. You know, there, There's only one way that you can actually put this to the test. If you had a similar situation here, and you tried it, and I'll tell you what, if you are successful in finding non-lethal means to stop this, I would be the first one to use it, as I asked our technological people to try to develop this. This is a new tactic. It's a new form of warfare. It's uh, trying to attack civilians who are hiding behind civilians, uh, which is essentially what the Hamas is doing anyway. It's when they put their rockets inside uh, schools and uh, homes, and they fire on our homes. This is a double war crime. So they continue it. It just, it just photographs better. But the fact is that they're doing something unconscionable. Hmm. So um, I, I always find it interesting when people will say about someone who's attacking someone else, well, why didn't you just shoot him in the legs? Now, we've discussed here on the program many times before the use of force continuum that the police are trained with and uh, what people are trained to do when they're attacked, when you're attacking someone who's been trained uh, in, in defense. And the people who did, uh, they were scaling the walls, and, and this was all during the announcement, uh, the lead up to the announcement and then the opening of the embassy in Jerusalem. And the Hamas terrorists brought some civilians with them as they're wont to do. They spread them out along the fence so that they could be the first people to get shot if there was any shooting. And then they started scaling the fence and they wanted as many people killed as possible because that serves their cause. Now, a lot of, uh, you know, good, clear thinking individuals don't understand this concept. They don't understand terrorism. They don't understand the, the mentality of Hamas where they raise the children to be suicide bombers and, you know, to, to do things that they know they might kill one Jewish person, but as long as they've killed one, when they die, they're promised to go on to martyrdom. We don't understand that. And, and in a way, it's great that we don't understand it because we're civilized and, and we would just never raise our own children to die. But that same inability to understand what they're doing really flies in the face of the reality of what the Jewish people, the, the Israelis, are dealing with over there. So when we listen to Prime Minister Netanyahu explain that he would it would it would be the most momentous accomplishment for Bibi Netanyahu to figure out a way not to have to use, um, you know, lethal force to defend Israel. They would love that. They're so caring about the people that want to destroy them that they actually bring the Hamas terrorists to their hospitals and they patch them up. So it's not about them not wanting to preserve life. It's that they, they understand their enemy. And if when you're watching the situation, you can't wrap your mind around what the Israelis are dealing with, then it means you're not, it's just not a conversation for you. And so when I hear people stand up, you should have shot him in the legs. Really? Everyone knows, anyone who's ever shot a gun knows that shooting someone center mass is that the re there's a reason that you're taught to do that because that is the most, that's the place where you're going to have the most accuracy. Legs have been known to run back and forth and, you know, move quickly and are harder to hit and they don't disable your enemy. As long as the arms and the hands are still working, they can still injure you. So, you know, it is what it is. I just, when do we get people who are willing to acknowledge the true reality of the situation with Israel in the Middle East and everyone that surrounds them wanting to destroy them. So, yeah, um, guess what? One of the Mueller team's attorneys sent anti-Trump texts, an FBI attorney who worked on the special counsel's Russia investigation until earlier this year, 
sent anti-Trump text messages to a colleague, including one exclaiming, Viva la resistance. The attorney's comments are revealed in a Justice Department Inspector General's report that was released today. The lawyer is not identified, but he worked on the Hillary Clinton email investigation and was the FBI's lead attorney on the investigation into Russian election interference. He was assigned to special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation soon after it began in May of 2017 and left in late February of this year after some of his private messages were shared with the special counsel. The inspector general's report focuses on instant messages that the attorney exchanged with a colleague about the Clinton and Russia probes. I am numb, the attorney wrote on November 9th, 2016, the day after President Trump's election. I'm so stressed out about what I could have done differently, the lawyer continued, apparently referring to the FBI's handling of the Clinton email probe. The messages show that he was distressed about the FBI's decision in October 2016 to reopen the investigation into her emails. The FBI lawyer also suggested that he should work to resist the Trump administration. One of the text messages said, is it making you rethink your commitment to the Trump administration? H, no. Viva la resistance, the future Mueller attorney responded. During interviews with the office of the IG, the lawyer claimed that his personal political feelings or beliefs no way impacted his work on the Clinton or Russia investigations. Again, swamp land at the back for sale, $10 million an acre. Bring it on, dupes and easily susceptible people. Do not believe this. The lawyer did acknowledge that the messages created a perception of anti-Trump bias. He told investigators that he could understand the perception issues that come from the exchange. The special counsel has been reached out to by the Daily Caller. They have not responded to the request for comment. Oh my. Remember, we've been told over and over again that this investigation into collusion by the Trump administration is staffed up by career appointees and no matter what their political affiliations, they are consummate professionals and they are investigators and they are of the highest order and they will investigate and do a fantastic job on behalf of Mueller and the United States of America. That's not what these text messages show, though, is it? Sorry, don't look like these people are impartial to me. So the uh, IG report also shows that one of the anti-Trump FBI agents showed a willingness to actually impact the election. This is Peter Strzok that they're talking about here. Uh, just, Department of Justice Inspector General Michael Horowitz reports that, um, you know, we, we talked about him and Lisa Page talking about, no, we're going to stop it. We're going to stop it. The FBI sat on the Wiener emails. Remember that scandal when he'd been uh, tweeting and doing direct messages back and forth with an underage girl as Carlos Danger on Twitter. And those emails, the direct messages and then emails and all that stuff were confiscated to prosecute Wiener for that. And when that happened, they discovered a treasure trove of, I think it was 300,000 emails that Huma Abedin had brought home from work and transferred from her work laptop to Anthony Wiener's personal laptop. So the NYPD had these classified emails in their possession because they had the laptop where the data was stored from the text messages and, and all the DMs from Twitter that were sent by Anthony Weiner. You guys remember this. This is like, this was, everybody's mouth was hanging open like, he did what? He sent pictures of himself to a 15-year-old girl on Twitter through DMs? And then they found what? They found emails? So... When the NYPD handed the emails over to the FBI, they sat on them. They just didn't do anything with them. Horowitz's team of investigators did not identify a consistent or persuasive explanation for the FBI's failure to act for almost a month after learning of the potential Clinton investigation-related emails on the Winter Wiener laptop. Now, the FBI has actually, according to the IG report, prioritized the Russia investigation over the Clinton emails on Weiner's computer. And the IG report says that is possibly due to, wait for it, political bias. Yeah, 
The FBI prioritized investigating the Trump campaign's ties to Russia over the discovered emails on Weiner's laptop, possibly due to political bias, according to the report. Anti-Trump agent Peter Strzok was intimately involved with that decision. Noting Strzok's willingness to use the FBI to stop Trump, the report said, we did not have confidence that Strzok's decision to prioritize the Russia investigation over following up on the mid-year related investigative lead discovered on the Wiener laptop was free from bias. So the next thing they say in the report is that Comey acted like the rules didn't apply to him. The report portrays Comey as insubordinate and consistently acting with disregard for DOJ policies, which he is tasked to carry out as head of the FBI. So both in his decision to make the public announcement of the Clinton email investigation, his decision to notify Congress when the investigation was reopened, he engaged in ad hoc decision making based on his personal views, even if it meant rejecting longstanding departmental policy or practice. Comey also used personal email for official government business in violation of DOJ policy, which I tweeted out in the wee hours of the morning this morning when I first saw it. Look, you know why he did that? Because he already knew that Hillary Clinton was getting away with it and Barack Obama was getting away with it and some others were getting away with it. And so, I mean, why, why shouldn't he participate in that? Why should he abide by the rules when people that he's investigating are not invited, abiding by the rules and he knows they're not going to be punished for it? That's the slippery slope we're now basically free falling down. Because now there are allegations that uh, Donald Trump Jr. and Ivanka Trump and maybe Jared Kushner have unsecured email accounts that they may or may not have sent some emails on, et cetera, et cetera. And my reaction to that is, I don't care. I don't care. Who cares? If it's not a problem for Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and and, uh, now James Comey, why should we care if Don Jr.'s doing it? Don Jr. doesn't even work in the White House. He goes there. He doesn't work there. Jared and Ivanka hold positions, but they're not, it's not like they're doing like a CIA type stuff. They're not head of uh, the, you know, any departments, right? They, they just like, they don't have any positions that even matter as it pertains to the highly classified information. They don't have access to it. Neither of them are secretary of state like Hillary Clinton was. Oh, the burns. Somebody should get some aloe vera for that. So the FBI, uh, in the report, it found that the FBI is also riddled with leaks. FBI employees receive benefits from journalists. In the report, it says, we identified numerous FBI employees at all levels of the organization and with no official reason to be in contact with the media who were nevertheless in frequent contact with reporters. We have profound concerns about the volume and extent of unauthorized media contacts by FBI personnel that we have uncovered during our review. In addition, we identified instances where FBI employees were improperly received Benefits from reporters, including tickets to sporting events, golfing outings, drinks and meals, admittance to non-public social events. The IG is actually going to file a separate report on those investigations once they're concluded. So more bombs will be dropping. And the FBI attorney who worked on the special counsel's Russia investigation until earlier this year sent numerous anti-Trump text messages to a colleague. Viva la resistance. So there, there we are. Hello. Hey, nice to meet you. FBI that's riddled with employees who didn't want to see Donald Trump become the president and who are now, some of them, some of them no longer, but were working on the investigation into whether or not the Trump campaign colluded, an investigation that was brought about by FBI Director James Comey seeking to appoint a special prosecutor to get the guy he didn't like who fired him who gave information that is technically classified because it was work product when he was director of the FBI to some Columbia Law School professor who then sent it over to a major media outlet. That's where we are right now. I mean, can you believe it? Can you really, like, are you sitting there thinking, this has got to be the Twilight Zone. Somebody turn this channel because this can't be exactly what's happening here. All right, we're going to be back right after these important messages and uh, talk about a little bit of consumer spending and prices. So stay there. 
Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki Addison of Airing the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. Family is so important to everything. I mean, think about it. Right after God created Adam, he made family by creating Eve as his wife. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference this summer. We have a full slate of experts to help encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. Our speakers include Ryan Bomberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Bert Harper and his wife Jan, and more. We'll even be there. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference will be Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th at Hope Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Come help us fight back against the enemy's direct attack on marriage and family. That's the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference put on by Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hello, this is Bishop Harry Jackson of Hope Christian Church in Beltville, Maryland. Jesus said you would do greater works than he did. Three places you got to go. That if you go to those places emotionally, not physically, they, Elijah and Elisha, went there physically. But you and I have to go there emotionally and spiritually. If we'll go emotionally and spiritually where they went physically, we'll come into the truths and the transforming and transferring of the mantle that happened with Elisha will happen with us in our generation. Number one, they went to Gilgal. The name Gilgal means rolling away. It's a place where Israel was circumcised the first time in the promised land after 40 years of wilderness wandering. Young people were circumcised there and they rolled away the shame of their 40 years of wandering. For every Christian leader that becomes great in the sight of the Lord, he has got to recognize that his weakness, his sin in times past, his origins, where he came up from, the limitations of his own natural abilities, all those things that may cause him shame because of natural identification have to be rolled away and paid no attention to in this hour of visitation where God will be glorified. Join us this Sunday morning at 6251 Amondale Road in Beltsville or on the web at thehopeconnection.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Well, if gas prices are eating away at your wallet this summer, you're not alone. AAA says Americans are spending $69 more each month to fill up their tank. Right now, the Chicago average is $3.26 a gallon at $2.99 for the rest of Illinois. Overall, it's a big chunk out of your budget. Analysts say Americans are now spending 7% of their income on gas. That's up a percentage point and a half over last year. So if you make $45,000 a year, you're shelling out over 3,000 just to fuel up. Well, well, well. Now, um, obviously, people who make more money don't necessarily drive more miles, um, but they might drive a car that has a larger tank. So. I mean, I'm sure there's some methodology to that, but uh, yeah. Welcome back to the program. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right, here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Head over to urbanfamilytalk.com or American Family Radio's website, AFR.net, and we would love to see you over there. Hit the subscribe buttons, you know, do some some cool, there's polls over at Urban Family Talk. It's good for us to uh, hear from you. We really appreciate you. So now... Uh, you hear that about the, the, and every summer the gas prices go up. It's not like we're, you know, ooh, oh my goodness, we've never seen this before. This happens every summer. But it's still interesting because not really much has changed in the way of the price per barrel. Um, and Americans aren't doing any more driving. Uh, you know, obviously some people are going on vacation, but a lot of people are flying as well. So it's just interesting. But what's more interesting than that? Well, I got to tell you, I was kind of surprised to see this story. But here it is. Who's that selling steaks, raw steaks, off of a truck in the parking lot of the Costco? 
you might be wondering who that is. Well, it's Amazon. <laughs> so I'm laughing because it's like there's nothing they won't do. <laughs> Amazon is like that, that neighbor that's always doing a project and they're always doing it themselves. And you come over, you're like, what are you doing? We've ripped out our bathroom. Oh, is someone going to, we're installing it ourselves. You're like, oh, and then they do it. The next thing you know, we're ripping up our driveway. You're doing it yourself? Yeah. And we're going to install a new one ourselves. We're going to pour the concrete ourselves. That's what Amazon is like, only it's a company. There's nothing they won't do. So this is a, a story about uh, Donna Brunswick. She's just a regular lady. She drives to the Costco last month to pick up two pounds of raw flank steak. But she didn't go to Costco so she could pick it up from Costco. She went there to pick it up from a truck that was parked in the parking lot of the Costco. She says you wouldn't typically buy meat off of a random truck. She's a technical manager in Atlanta. But she said the $20 for the slab of beef was a really good deal. She liked the filet mignon she bought from there in December when that, it was that day's offering. She says after they cooked it, the truck meat was delicious. That's a quote from her. So the meat doesn't just fall off the back of any random truck. It's sold by Amazon, which already sells just about anything online. They now di- uh, sell discounted seafood, panini presses, and more from what they call the treasure truck. Now I'm going to tell you, I did not know about the treasure truck until I saw this article. I have not been offered an opportunity to buy anything off of the treasure truck because I'm an Amazon user. So I'm waiting for them to send me my notification that there's a treasure truck nearby so I can see what's going on. Because you know me, I, if there's anything going on with Amazon selling something, I want to be able to experience it for myself and try it out. I've not been given the opportunity yet, but now I'm waiting. So it's a quirky way for them to connect with shoppers in person and expand their physical presence and promote themselves. They've also used the trucks to bring people into the Whole Foods. They don't need to do that with me. I was just there earlier today. The grocery chain they bought last year, um, they actually debuted this service, these treasure trucks, two years ago, and they now roam nearly 40 cities in the United States and in England. Now I'm going to wait till after the show, or maybe I'll check over the next break to see if our city is in the number of 40 that they're in. The inspiration says treasure truck director Margot Johnson was the ice cream truck, which is another store on wheels that pops up unexpectedly. Treasure truck sales are just a tiny piece of the online giant's retail business. The value to Amazon may be in the app downloads the trucks generate and their ability to test what products are hot sellers and, of course, the buzz that they can create. She says the same thing that I said. Amazon does a lot of these types of things because they can. (laughs) So they basically, someone will have an idea in the company. Instead of them saying, no, we're not going to do that because that's logistically impossible. There is nothing that's logistically impossible for them. So they're like, sure, we'll do it. (laughs) Just do it. Just make it, get a truck, suit it up. (laughs) What are you going to sell out of it? Suit it up for refrigeration and freezing and, uh, Let's get some good, get some good custom logos on it and get an app going and we'll do that. <laughs> I just think it's, it's pure capitalism is what it is. So uh, there's a bunch more things you can buy on the trucks, not just meat. They have uh, basically the, this process by which they keep the item a secret until the day that the trucks roll out. People who sign up get a morning text announcing the deal of the day. At the circus-like trucks, which light up and blast music, Amazon workers play games with shoppers and help them take selfies. They have custom designs like a lobster and a lighthouse on the Boston truck, cowboy boots on the Dallas truck, a race car on the Indy truck. And at all of the trucks, they usually have a bubble machine blowing. You guys, I have to experience this. It's so kitschy, says Evelyn Molina, who bought a $20 bouquet of roses, lilies, and other flowers at the Miami treasure truck. Molina, who blogs about parenthood at mommymafia.com, decided to treat herself since the truck was parked near her workout spot. The first treasure truck hit the streets in Seattle in 2016. They expanded to 25 cities last fall, then to a dozen British cities, including London and Manchester late last year. They will not share whether or not they plan to expand further than that. The trucks go out a couple of times a week. 
and spend a few hours roving between the parking lots of malls, office complexes, or banks. Amazon rents the spaces, but they can also park in front of their own Whole Foods stores. Molina got a $5 Whole Foods coupon when she picked up a Star Wars toy in December from a truck that was parked nearby. The coupon had to be used that day, so she went into the Whole Foods and bought grapes, chicken tortilla soup, and other groceries. She says they totally got me. Amazon chooses what's sold on the trucks. There are holiday-related goods such as the Godiva chocolates, a dozen red roses they sold before Valentine's Day, and trendy items like the Instant Pot pressure cooker, which we have, or food such as uncooked shrimp or raw chicken wings because all of the trucks have refrigeration. So what do you guys think about that? What do you think about Amazon in addition to owning Whole Foods, which apparently has been a really good thing for them? The business at Whole Foods has been booming according to the numbers that they've been putting out about uh, their same store, sale, same, store, same store sales, say that fast three times, um, over the course of the year that they've owned Whole Foods. Uh, there's also reporting out that the CEO of Whole Foods has been really jousting with Amazon about some of the changes that they've made. And he's taken a devil may care attitude about it because he feels like, you know, he doesn't want to be fired, but they he's not afraid of it. And so he's really uh, working hard to make sure that he pushes back when he thinks they're implementing things that aren't good for the store. Um, it's just an interesting time. I actually, I, I kind of appreciate it. I appreciate anything a retailer does to make their experience more fun. Not that adults have to have fun per se. We are adults, but it is nice to see them go the extra mile to try to get something more to you. And then of course, in exchange for that, they want you to buy something. And the reason I say that is because I was recently, uh, so yesterday I went to the regular grocery store, which for us is Schnucks. We have other grocery stores here, but Schnucks is the like regular people's grocery store that's owned by a local family. It's in other states now, but it started off here in Missouri and Schnucks is their last name. And so you go to the Schnucks and it's the grocery store. Think of your Kroger, but it's styled up like a Schnucks. And what they've done is they've put in the same thing that you have at Walmart and other stores, which is self-checkouts. Now, I don't know if you guys know about this, but I'm here to tell you I am not a fan of the self-checkout. And the reason is because... Obviously, when I was a teenager, I worked in retail and I also worked in checkout lanes. I actually was the person who checked people out and, you know, rang stuff up for them. Now, I don't have bad experiences from that or bad memories from that. But what I do know is that employees are paid to ring up your items and bag them and hand them to you after you've paid. That payment to that employee is included in the cost of the goods that you buy. So when I go to the store and find all the items and load it into the basket and then have to go to the checkout lane and check myself out, I'm essentially, I'm, I'm not getting what I'm paying for. I'm paying for you to have an employee to check out my stuff. If you make me do it, then I should get a discount. I feel like I should immediately get 5% off the total cost of my bill for checking my own stuff out and bagging it because I'm not at Shop and Save where I'm expected to bag my own stuff. I'm not at Costco or Sam's Club, we're Sam's Club people, where I have to, you know, basically put my stuff into boxes because they just load it back into the basket for you. There is no bagging, but you know that because you're at Sam's Club and everything you're buying is so big, there really aren't any bags for it to fit in. But at the grocery store or the Walmart, the cost of a bagger checking my stuff out and actually bagging it for me, that's included. So if I do it myself, I want a discount. So if I'm not getting a discount, I'm not doing it myself. So this is what I noticed when I was at Schnucks yesterday. The self-checkout area has expanded. It was the, basically the equivalent of two or three lanes of a regular checkout lane. Now it is the equivalent of about six checkout lanes. So what they're saying to you, they're communicating to all the shoppers, you will be checking yourself out and bagging your own stuff for the same price that you would be paying if you were over there in one of those other lines. Uh-uh, that's not for me. That is not for me. If I wanted to do extra work, well, I mean, that's what it amounts to is going there and checking yourself out. It is easier for me to look on Amazon and find more things that I normally buy at the grocery store and have them delivered here to the house on automatic, you know, so you, you have these little, uh, they're called pantry boxes and you order the products and they automatically send them to you once a month, once every two months, once every three months on whatever schedule you set up. 
So they're forcing me to find other places to buy this stuff because I don't want to be there at their store checking myself out. This is terrible for their business. I know I'm not the only one who has stumbled upon the truth, which is I don't like bringing my own stuff up and I don't like bagging my own stuff at the grocery store or at Walmart. I don't like it. So I think I think they're making a mistake. <laughs> they're not really thinking it through. They think they've stumbled upon a way to not have as many employees there. But what they're stumbling on is a way to make people who already shop there feel like they have to work to buy something and therefore they would just shop somewhere else. Kind of sad. And again, meanwhile, Amazon's making so much money that they've now implemented the equivalent of an ice cream truck for adults to buy meat out of with music and bubbles. Obviously, I'm waiting to experience it for myself. I have to. I have to get in, I have to get in on some of that action. I do. Uh, I just, there's no way I'm not going to be finding out if we've got truck access here in, in St. Louis and getting in on some of it if we do. Uh, so there's also the president's birthday just passed by. Um, he was celebrating with the booming economy, North Korea, you know, obviously he feels like that was a major success. I feel like it was a successful meeting. Um, the whole saluting one of their military people, notwithstanding the world cup, uh, is going to, a bunch of the games are going to be played in America. It's a huge feat for us. The Obama administration was not able to get them to play any of the games here. The last time the city biddings went up, um, the jobless rate is at a 44 year low, Another huge accomplishment for the president and for his policies. The economy, according to J.P. Morgan, is growing at 4%, um, which is pretty stunning. And speaking of people who don't have, uh, who, who may or may not be flouting their email access, I mentioned Ivanka Trump. It turns out that South Korea's foreign minister met with Ivanka in Washington to rekindle, rekindle the Olympic friendship and Rex Tillerson's deputy had to take his official meeting. And while he was in town, or while they were meeting, I should say, the South Korean foreign minister, Kang Kyung-wha, met with Ivanka Trump multiple times. They even had lunch together. And that was when it kind of started, it, it, it kind of got the ball rolling, talking to them about their aspirations for a relationship, better relations with North Korea. All of that began in the, these lunches and meetings with uh, the South Korean delegate, foreign minister, and uh, Ivanka Trump. So the further we get into this, the more we learn about how this all came together it's clear that it took months and months and months and it was something that was orchestrated by the president and his, his cabinet. And it just, it's really, it's great to see. It disproves the lie that he's unprepared. He doesn't think things through. I told y'all he could be the wildest tweeter in the planet, but the tweets are not official policy. And while you're reading tweets and you got flames shooting out of your ears and you're just like incensed and you can't believe he's tweeting this stuff, Behind the scenes, he's doing the real work of governing, which is why I don't pay as close attention to his Twitter feed as I do to the news reports from trusted organizations uh, that, that are reporting on what the administration is doing, and specifically the White House press pool. You, you do well to figure out a place where you can get information about what's going on in D.C. and read that and spend less time reading the online social media. Unless you just like the tweets. <laughs> All right, when we get back, we're going to talk uh, to Curtis Hauk. He's a managing editor of Newsbusters. He'll be with us right after this. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. A married couple needs to focus on both partners' passions and needs. What's important to one partner might not be as important to the other. For Tony, his passion is sports. For me, it's adoption. 
During Tony's career, we sacrificed, made adjustments, and moved around the country because that's what needed to happen. He was passionate about his job, and I loved supporting him. And I enjoyed supporting Lauren and her passion for adoption. I share her passion, and God has blessed us with a wonderful family. I'm so proud of Lauren and the woman of God that she is. Find out the needs and desires of your spouse, and then be an encourager to them. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. My name is Derek, and because of my obsession with crack cocaine, I've accumulated 10 years of prison time. Will Teen Challenge show me how to live drug-free and get my life back on track again? If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Coming next week on The Dwelling Place. Pastor Al Pittman continues to walk us through the Bible line by line and verse by verse to let God show us just how timeless His truth is. That's next week on The Dwelling Place. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. We've been all over the country helping disaster victims who lose everything. It's truly a blessing. I really don't have the words to express. And yet they see a glimmer of hope when a volunteer shows up. Building the home, that's the second reason we're here. The number one reason is to share the gospel and and give them hope. It's everything that's right in America. I mean, it really represents the, the best that we have to offer. That's one of the main reasons for doing it, is being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus and coming out and working with so many wonderful volunteers. I just feel like it's important in this day and age to teach a child uh, how to serve. Please go to our website, 8daysofhope.com, and click on Get Involved. Submit your email address, and the next time we go anywhere with a disaster, we'll invite you to come along as well. I love coming in the job room because you can see these pieces of paper, they aren't just a piece of paper. Right. It's a family that's hurting, and it's a gospel opportunity. And you know, I just thank God, you know, for this moment. I mean, I'll be back in my home, and I know it's going to be awesome. Come love others with 8 Days of Hope. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back. Thank you for being here today and for giving us your ears. We really appreciate your time and love having you here on the program. And you're in for a treat right now. We have Curtis Howe, Managing Editor of Newsbusters. Curtis, thanks for joining us today. Um, Stacy. So let's talk about Samantha Bee's advertisers. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, the furor over her comments about Ivanka Trump have died down, and most people consider it to be, you know, it's over. She survived. She kept her job. And most people on the left feel like that's totally fair, even though it's the biggest double standard ever, which is saying a lot considering the double standards right. we're currently enduring. Um, but it turns out the unreported story is that she lost a bunch of advertisers after the initial uh, statement that she made. And they haven't come back. Right, exactly. Okay, so let's walk through this here. So the episode in which she used the the word ugly phrase to describe Ivanka Trump, there were not counting Turner-owned promos for shows also on TBS or TNT. There were 19 spots, okay? Uh, okay, then last week when she was supposed to offer an apology, but it, you know, you think about, you can kind of think about whether it was an actual apology or not. I'd say no, but, you know, to each their own. There were only six, you know, non-in-house advertisements. And then, but this week, you know, and obviously the show was taped beforehand, so the advertisers don't exactly know what she's going to say. So we thought maybe that, you know, she would be put in timeout or something, um, and they would be coming back. We were really prepared for that here in the newsroom last night. But then once the show happened and they started going to commercial break, it was the same number, only six uh, non-in-house advertisements last night. And it was simply stunning to see that, you know, that you know maybe she's not put just in like a one-week timeout thing. And so it's definitely something to monitor. But again, it's not something that 
is getting a lot of attention today um, between the IG report and even before the IG report came out, like this morning. Uh, that was not really a story, but it was a huge story for us. And it's been a huge story for our readers because we really think there's something there. So let's talk about this a little bit. And, and so I'm, I feel like I know a little bit, maybe just enough to be dangerously uninformed about how television advertising <laughs> works, you know, and where it intersects with whether or not a show survives. Um, I know right. for Laura Ingram, the furor around her really benign comment to that awful little gun control activist who happens to have at the time been 17 years old, um, advertisers dive bombed off of the show and there was this big discussion online that she could lose the program because without the right. advertisers, what's the point? But the viewers didn't go down. So she didn't lose audience. She lost exactly. advertisers. So advertisers can be replaced with others who want access to those millions of eyeballs. But the Including conversation was she'd up. lose the show. They went up. Her, her ratings went up. Yeah, They did. They, and, and they remain up. So she actually turned lemons into lemonade. But what happens with Samantha B? It's, it, I think it's different because TBS is... Um, it's an entertainment channel as opposed to news. And Samantha Bee's program is pre-recorded. Laura Ingram's is live every night. I mean, there's there's a lot of similarity, but there's a lot of difference. Mm -hmm. How does it work when you have 19 slots and now you have six? The, right. the show is no longer as profitable as it was if this remains the status quo. Exactly. That That is such an excellent point. And the other thing to think about is with a new show like Laura Ingram's, if there's breaking news or something happens or there's a terror attack or someone dies or, you know, whatever else or an election night, there's no commercials. You notice that um, this afternoon with the with the IG report for large stretches, you know, the three cable networks, there were no commercials. They were it was wow. all talking about the, the IG reports findings because there was breaking news. There was a huge story that happened. And, and so cable news kind of has that leeway to be able to do that because there's that understanding, I think, with advertisers and the executives that, you know, things may happen, you know, um, bad things or, or, you know, most cases will happen. Whereas with a tape show like this that is on cable, it is much more uh, kind of built in where you're going to get commercial breaks, you know, even with sporting events, because they know that, you know, in baseball, there's going to be a break between the innings. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be advertisements. Football, there's halftime or there people are going to get hurt. So there's going to be injury timeouts, whereas comedy shows like this. You know, there's only so much space that there is there, and it's like a scripted television show that mm -hmm. episodes are only, you know, so much time. So, therefore, they have to fill in with advertising spots. So, that's why uh, it's a little bit more significant, uh, if you think about it, uh, for Samantha B that she's not having advertisers than you know, a Laura Ingram or a Bill O'Reilly who did lose his show. Um, and, and so, I think that's what's really important. And, again, to keep in mind that, you know, this is – it's shown that this is beyond a one-week timeout, you know, or temporary reprieve here. Um, so if this goes on for a third and fourth week, you really do start to wonder how profitable is this because Samantha B was reeled in from Comedy Central and she received a lot of money for this. Um, and her husband has a show, has a scripted show. Uh, I forget what it's called. I think it's called The Detour. But um, so they are tied up into this network, and Turner really has kind of latched its, you know, kind of, truck to that to, to Samantha B mm -hmm. and so again that is a certain point you wonder how much can they take before it really starts to hurt so Curtis if I'm understanding you correctly because you've, you've made a very very important distinction between news programming and how they manage mm -hmm. their their because the, these are relationships with these advertisers and they have an understanding for news you've explained that so well so um, thank you, because I, I hadn't even thought about that. I noticed it, but it's not it's not like it's at the front of your mind when you're just watching. You're like, oh, we've been an hour with oh, no commercials. But, no. you know, somebody gets married, someone dies. It's something huge. Um, or there's a terror attack. Well, they'll go hours, really, with just nonstop wall-to-wall -wall coverage. So when we talk about the taking a break, and this is obviously speculation on our part, but I, I do think we have some historical basis with which to speculate this way. When when we talk about a brand, you, you mentioned that they lured her over from another network, that they've hitched their wagon to her because she's very marketable, attractive, younger. Um, she has a very brazen, brash style of comedy that seems to have really intersected with a younger demographic that includes women, which is why she had 19 advertisers. But if the comment that she made is so repugnant to advertisers that they remain away, then the truck doesn't have wheels anymore, it can't move, there's no need to be hitched to it. So could she eventually end up losing the show if this 
uh, reticence by advertisers to take her on persists. I don't see any other way that that doesn't happen if this if this continues. Um, you know, TBS has said that they stand behind Samantha B. And you know, num- number of kind of pundits, journalists, and comedians have reiterated their thing that they are, they're standing behind her. But I think again, you know, you get to the bottom line here about money and you know, a show that they put a lot of marketing into and they really put a risk on, you know, a female hosting, a, albeit a one night a week, but a nonetheless a late night comedy show. Um, and it continues to lose money, not so much even in the ratings, but regardless of ratings. Um, but in terms of advertisers, um, you know, again, that really starts to add up here, and that, that that means more time that they have to fill in with promos for, you know, Snoop Dogg show or some, mm-hmm. you know, something else. And you know, they've relied a lot on movies here, and movies, you know, the the previews for those really only go through, you know, maybe the first couple of weeks after they've come out um, before you have to find something else. And so that it that. We saw that last night with a couple of the movies being, uh, at least two of them being her spots. Uh, two, yes, uh, of the six. So I, I, I definitely think they may, they can't stand behind her, and I genuinely believe that. Um, and that they want her to continue. But uh, in terms of whether the advertisers come back, that's, uh, that's really not in their, you know, that's out of their hands. If, an, if a you know, business doesn't want to advertise on their show, uh, like State Farm and Jim Beam that were there the, the week that the, the word was said and they have not been on since, then TBS, Turner, can't force them to do that, you know? So then so they're, they're their, in a place of scrambling to try and find other advertisers. But if people say no, they say no. You can't force someone to advertise on a show. So well, and, they, um, and they might have the same concern yeah. that... so. Mm-hmm. That there becomes this thing that has been very, the left has been very successful in realizing that once they attach a negative label to someone and some advertisers leave, the normal thing would be to say, yeah, those advertisers left, but we can get these advertisers over here who've been waiting for an opportunity to advertise. But if you're successful in attaching that stigma to the show, then advertisers who might have previously jumped at coming on are now also hesitant to be a part of it because they don't want their brand attached to the whatever whatever the the controversy was so i guess exactly who who is it i i know it was state farm uh there were a few of them that were kind of prominent that i heard but i only heard about six leaving so this this new number you're presenting is much higher than i was uh, you know was reported in the news that i saw well a number of them just have not said anything they've just they have not advertised from the show. So I'll run through a couple of the advertisers that ran on the, the night of the, when the C word was said, but they did not, um, uh, that they haven't said anything and they just have not been back on. Orkin, you know, Pest Control, Taco Bell, Apple, Verizon, Hagen Boss, Jim Beam, Windows, Febreze, Discover, uh, Snickers, uh, State Farm. State Farm and Auto Traders specific publicly said that they would not advertise on the show. Last week we had PlayStation, Cascade, Jurassic World, um, you know, a few, a couple of TV shows on other non-Turner networks, and then last night we just had PlayStation, uh, the per- the first Purge, TripAdvisor, Consumer Cellular, another movie called Tag, and Wendy's, um, you know. Uh, and that'll be, you know, I guess something that people will notice. You know, people are really noticing our count of these advertisers. And mainstream outlets have tried to kind of uh, ask us where, how we got our methodology. And it's funny. And we're like, we just watch the show. We, like, mm. write down the advertisers. Um, there's really nothing else to it. There's no way to undermine our, you know, situation here. Uh, because we're just simply reporting what we're seeing, you know, come across the television here. We say we're watching it on DirecTV. Um, so... It is what it is. And, you know, again, this is a situation that I think bears watching. And, and I just think it's ironic because this is something that, you know, hap- has happened on Fox News and has been perpetuated by left-wing groups for a long time. And now that, you know, first we had Joy Behar, but Joy Behar kept her job and she apologized. And we kind of move on from there. We showed where we're different than the left. We don't continue to hound them um, but on this, where she didn't really offer a sincere apology uh, it's continuing, and we're going to see what happens because this is kind of uncharted territory. But uh, for the left, I think it's a lesson for them that you know things can kind of swing the other way too. Irony has a way of doing that. Um, so 
so again, we'll see uh, what happens in the in the weeks to come to get a real definitive conclusion. Hey, I can't wait to hear what you guys find. My my thing with it is, um, I think there's a disgust level for what Samantha B said mm-hmm. that doesn't register publicly. Um, for me and in, in my little back channel of people that I know, it was an immediate, like you know, cutting off. It was one of those things where if they didn't know who she was. And they were like, well, I'm, I'm glad I've never watched her show. I never will. I'll mm-hmm. never associate with anything. Like if she's in a movie, I won't watch it. There's just no way I'm going to have anything to do with her because of what she said. For people who knew who she was and thought maybe her comedy was no good or thought it was biting comedy that even though they don't agree with it, it was still witty, there was still the shutdown. It was like an, it, you hear what she said, and then I, I don't know anybody who isn't a hardcore leftist, like an activist, who would say it wasn't that offensive to me or that word doesn't bother me. I only heard that from hardcore activists. Everyone else was pretty equal in saying that's unacceptable. I will never frequent anything she has to do with again. And if that's just, you know, obviously anecdotal, but if you see that happening with regular people, you have to think that people who work in advertising shops who choose which ads they're going to buy and what, you know, what we're going to, we're going to put this amount of money here and there Right. would have had the same kind of visceral reaction as women because a lot of women work in advertising. So it's, it's, uh, exactly. it's interesting. Exactly. We, we've seen the rise of corporate liberalism with, with businesses really uh, take up liberal politics, liberal causes, partner with left-wing groups, especially for gay marriage um, and, you know, uh, transsexuals, you know, uh, and, and all that other uh, kind of thing. But it's, in, it's been interesting to see that people draw the line on the most repugnant word that you could possibly use to describe a woman. And, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like someone talking about the Holocaust or something like that. That is just, mm-hmm. that just stop. Just stop. You just draw yeah. the line. And I yeah. think that's really important, I think, in this day and age to see um, that, albeit it, it, you have to get to a really high level of disgust to get there, that there is still a line. That there is still a line of what's acceptable and what's not, you know, uh, not acceptable, and what's decent and what's not. And it's very clearly that Samantha B crossed the line into a level of indecency that we really haven't seen, you know, in comedy in some or just anywhere in some time in our body politic. That does that. There's no place for that. And I think that's. Um, it's good to see, I think, um, whether that continues is another question, but at least in this situation, uh, it's been nice to see that, that people of all political structure, people that aren't interested in the news, see that and be like, hey, that's wrong. Yeah, I'm not going to watch that show. You know what, Curtis? To see that the recipient was someone who is routinely held up for ridicule and is normally, it's fine to attack her, that she was the one that Samantha B decided to hit with this and it's actually biting her back. It, it is really a fascinating story which i will be keeping up with at newsbusters and i thank you so much for your time today no problem stacy always a great time all right thanks curtis well that's the show uh god bless have a fantastic evening tonight i'll be back with you tomorrow with more stacy on the right The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.